Okay, welcome to day 125 of Journey Through Scripture. Today we're going to be looking at Judges chapter 2, verse 6 through the end of chapter 3, and then Psalm 56, and finally John chapter 4, verses 27 through 42. Okay, so uh, a lot of stuff happens in today's um, reading from the book of Judges. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 6, notice that we have something of um, a, a rewinding of the tape, right? So we'd, we'd heard a bunch of stuff that had taken place uh, after the death of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 1. And now here we are back to when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel, went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. So this is almost like a double introduction to the book of Judges and um, uh, two different ways of saying it. One which focuses on the people's failure to drive out the Canaanites and the other that focuses more directly on their rebellion against the Lord and um, the idolatry that they engaged in. Um, so, yeah, when when Joshua dismissed the people, they went to take possession um, and of, of the land that he had given them. And uh, the people served Yahweh, all of those who had, who had seen the great work that he had done for Israel. And then Joshua died and is buried. And then we, we, we read in verse 10 of chapter 2, uh, There arose another generation after them who did not know Yahweh or the work that he had done for Israel. And uh, if this kind of phraseology sounds familiar to you, that's because it is familiar. Uh, recall how in Exodus, chapter 1, verse 8, after we first learn about the people of, well, actually learn for a second time about the people of Israel going down into Egypt, we're told that there arose a new pharaoh over Egypt. So here, that that sense of foreboding, right? Something bad is about to happen. Uh, another generation, but this time they, they did not know the Lord. Then we're told about uh, what we might call the cycle of the book of Judges, and that is a series of, of events that happen uh, that kind of keep repeating themselves. And each time this cycle happens, and this is the thing to understand about the book of Judges, is that each time this cycle happens, it gets worse and worse. So what does the cycle look, look like? Well, the people do evil in the eyes of Yahweh. Uh, they serve other gods. Uh, and then that, of course, arouses God's anger. And then he gives them over to plunderers or enemies, uh, foreign uh, nations, etc. And, um, and this is described as the hand of Yahweh being against them. Um, and I note that this is exactly what God had warned them that he would do. And you could look back to Leviticus 26, verses 14 through 46, or to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 15 through 68. And in their distress, then, the people of Israel cry out to the Lord, and uh, the Lord raises up judges who then bring about deliverance, and then they die. Um, and yet the people um, kind of get right back into it, and they start uh, doing this stuff again. Now, a few things in the way that this cycle is described here in chapter 2 um, that uh, that uh, probably are helpful to point out. Uh, first of all, notice that it talks about how 
Uh, they went and they served the Baals, or the Baals, if you like, right? I'm thinking about uh, verse 13 here. Uh, they abandoned Yahweh and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Now, just to kind of get our terms straight here, what, the re- so you've got a bunch of plurals here. Uh, first, Baals. So we've, we've, we've noted how Baal is this storm deity that is worshipped in and around the land of Canaan. Uh, he controls, he, he sends rain, he's, he rides on the clouds. He is the chief contender for Israel's affe- affection um, among all the, the other deities um, throughout the Old Testament. And when we see it in a plural like this, it probably means local manifestations of of him. So the way he's worshipped in this town versus the 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 way he's worshipped in that town. We've seen already Baal of Peor, right, with that incident with Moab. Um, so uh, that would be what we're to make of the plurals. But notice also you have this term, the Ashtaroth. And now that one could be forgiven for thinking that this is uh, the exact same thing as as Asherah. We've seen Asherah. Um, described, and we've, I believe we've seen plurals, Asherahs. And there, um, that is a very specific female uh, goddess, and sometimes it, it just denotes the, the pole or the tree that was used to represent her. Um, this is distinct from that. Notice the T, right? Okay, so let me explain what's going on here. So first off, note the O-T-H, O-T or O-T-H is the feminine plural ending in Hebrew. So just as Baals would be Baalim in, because it's masculine, the feminine plural is, ending is Ot. Okay, so these are like the Baals. These are local manifestations of this female deity. But as I said, you see the T here. This is not Asherah. This is um, a, a, a female goddess of love, or uh, love and, and often of war as well, uh, who is known throughout the ancient world um, variably as Ashtar or Ishtar or sometimes Astarte, um, and uh, this is that's that's what this is. Um, and um, yeah, so we actually have many figurines, goddess figurines that have been uncovered. Um, they're plentiful and they're often, they are of, 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 of Ashtar and they often have exaggerated feminine features to them. So that's who the gods are here. Um, the other thing, uh, definitionally here, uh, it's important to, to realize that in the book of Judges, the term judges, as opposed to, to how it's used elsewhere in the Old Testament, uh, like we've already seen in multiple times, it's commonly used as people who decide legal cases, right? Tough, um, they make decisions, they make calls. Uh, is this a manslayer or is this a murderer, right? Stuff like that. Here in the book of Judges, uh, I'm not going to say that that meaning is totally absent, but for the most part, it seems to denote something more like military deliverers. So what the judges do is they usually uh, do battle and lead the people in battle. So uh, in just flag that in the book of Judges, the judges tend to have that kind of role. It's a, it's a little bit defini- definitionally different than it is uh, in the rest of the Old Testament. 
Um, uh, I, I will also note in this uh, in this um, second introductory session se uh, section um, in chapter three, verse six, it talks about how uh, their daughters. They uh, speaking of the Canaanites here, right? Um, the Israelites took their daughters for their wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served other gods. Those are two things exactly that Joshua and Joshua 23 verses 7 and then verse 12 uh, those are two things that he noted that that uh, that they would probably be doing right when he expressed his skepticism as to whether or not they'd walk in all the ways of the Lord um, so then we have our first actual cycle that happens uh, Israel did evil in the eyes of Yahweh they served the the Baals and the Asheroth <laughs> notice here there's no T in that, okay? Um, we're, I'm looking at chapter 3, verse 7. So that's not Ashtar. That's the plural of Asherah, the, the, the tree god, the, the, the one represented by a tree or the, or the pole. Okay, so just, uh, you know, we want to keep our deities straight. Um, but really, I think the meaning is probably very similar, the, these local... Um, generalized, uh, you know, uh, kind of potpourri of, of, of localized deities that the Canaanites are, are now able to entice Israel with. And the first individual who, um, who comes against Israel, whom the Lord, the adversary whom the Lord brings against them, is uh, a Mesopotamian, uh, apparently a king, um, whom Judges calls Kushan Rishathayim, which is probably not the name his mother gave him, as Kushan Rishatayim literally means Kushan of double wickedness. So this is um, a name that, that, again, the judges assigns to this individual. It's very difficult to, to, to my knowledge, I don't think that, that anybody, uh, that they're uh, like direct obvious candidates for who this was. But this is a Mesopotamian king, and of, of all the, um, of all the, um, adversaries in the book of Judges, this one is clearly from the furthest uh, distance. Now, Mesopotamia, of course, being far to the north and then also pretty far, pretty far east as well. And he oppresses Israel for eight years. Um, notice that this is suffering that the Lord brings upon his people to instigate repentance, um, or as it, he it, it noted um, earlier in the reading from today, um, that they might know war to test them, uh, things like that. Um, and they cry to Yahweh, and he raises up an individual whom we've already met twice now, once in Joshua, now once in the book of Judges, Othniel. This is Caleb's nephew, who is um, married to um, Caleb, uh, Caleb's daughter. And here's another feature that the judges um, uh, often encounter. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Uh, one of the characteristic ways in which the the Spirit of God interacts with people in the Old Testament is special empowerment to do a specific task, and this is exactly what we're seeing here. Um, and without given, getting many details, we're told that Yahweh gave Kushan Rishathayim into his hand, and then the land had rest, and um, and 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 the and and Othniel dies. And then uh, Israel again does evil in the eyes of Yahweh. And this time Yahweh strengthens Eglon, whose name means cow. Um, 
is this an actual the actual name or is, again is this the name that judges is giving to them not giving to him unclear who is a king of Moab we know about Moab right they're one of the nations that lives in the Transjordan Moab is uh, pretty far south compared to the others um, and uh, he's teams up with other Transjordanian peoples, the Ammonites, and of course the Amalekites, who have caused Israel a lot of trouble so far. And he takes possession of the city of Palms. So whatever was left and happening at Jericho, um, he takes possession of it. So whether he's taking possession of a heap of rubble and then constructing a temporary residence on top of it, it's not clear. Um, but, uh, yeah, and, and for 18 years now, 18 years, so 10 years more than Kushan Rishatayim, uh, the people serve Eglon and he oppresses them and they cry out, notice the cycle happening and the Lord raises up this time Ehud, who is a Benjaminite and, uh, he, it's noted that he's left-handed, he's a lefty and kind of a, an, an interesting thing going on. I'm not sure how much to make of it, but um, Benjamin, the name Benjamin, of course, means son of the right hand, uh, right hand son, perhaps we could say. Um, And uh, twice in the book of Judges, um, Benjaminites are noted for being left-handed. In fact, in chapter 20, verse 16, uh, we're told about 200 chosen Benjaminite warriors who were southpaws. Um, and who were so good with a sling, they could hit a hair. Um, and so I just note that, right? Benjamin's uh, right-hand son, son of the right hand, and they're lefties. Um, I just think it's kind of interesting. And the people of Israel send tribute to their Moabite overlord by him. Um, and uh, immediately we're cued into the fact that Ehud has something up his sleeve, or I should say up his, um, garments, his, his lower garments, his, his, what what would you call it? Um, (laughs) not exactly his sleeve, pant leg, right? Um, it's a sword, a little dagger, uh, a a cubit, right? And we know cubit, uh, the distance roughly from your elbow to the tip of your finger, uh, two edged. So it's for stabbing, Okay, it's not for it's not for hacking, and he, it's fastened to his right thigh, and then we're told something about Eglon. Eglon was very fat. Um, this guy liked his fast food. Okay, and um, and so the the tribute is delivered, and then Ehud turns back around at the idols of Gilgal. Now, remember, Gilgal was the place where Joshua had set up camp, and now, just in kind of like this nonchalant passing reference, right? Oh, there's idols now at Gilgal. Like, it's I, like now it's become known for for idolatry, for having idols there. And you're like, wait, what? But yeah, there's there's idols at Gil, Gilgal. And, and he returns, and he tells, he tells uh, Eglon, he says, I have a secret word for you. Now, the there's an interesting little uh, wordplay going on here um, because the Hebrew word for word, uh, davar, can mean word, matter, or thing, like an like a just a random thing. Okay, and so obviously the 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 way Eglon hears it is 
I've got a I've got a secret to tell you. I've got a I've got a secret word. But actually he's got a secret thing for him. And then Eglon foolishly uh, lets Ehud get alone with him. He the doors are closed to to his the room where he's in. And then he says it again. He's but this time he says, "I have a devar of God for you. I have a a word from God or is it a thing from God for you?" And uh we're told that he goes close to him. Eglon's like, well, let me hear it. Give me this devar. Give me this this word, a.k.a. this thing. And Eglon, um, unsuspecting, brings him near. And Ehud re- takes his left hand, uh, goes to his right thigh, pulls out this dagger, and sinks it right into Eglon's belly. Which is so, I mean, the description here, you read it, you know. All right, the fat closes over his his hand, and uh, the the hilt goes in after the blade, and he just like leaves it there. Um, and it says the dung came out, like very very unflattering, gross scene. And then he escapes uh, out some kind of like back entrance to this chamber where he is, and the servants of Eglon are waiting, waiting, waiting outside, and. Um, and then they, it says they become embarrassed, right? And they just open up the door because they're like, hey, is he relieving himself? Sometimes this guy takes a while, if you know what I mean. Um, but uh, they go and they find him dead. And so Ehud is well on his way by then. He passes the idols at Gilgal again. And he blows the trumpet in Ephraim, leads uh, Ephraimite uh, um uh, militia, I suppose we could say, out against them, and they secure the Jordan crossing, uh, the fords of the Jordan. So you know, if you want to go to Moab, you got to go that way. And in this, like they engage in this kind of guerrilla warfare, apparently against Eglon's uh, people, and they end up killing ten elephs. Uh, remember, this is that thousands um, versus military contingent thing. We might ask, but we call it ten thousand, sure. And because of this, Moab is subdued, and the the land has rest for 80 years. Uh, one final thing that I'll note here is uh, there there is it's quite a possibility that uh, when we're told these um, these temporal designations, right, like 80 years, 18 years, eight years, there may be overlap. Like a lot of these episodes take place in different places throughout the land, and so. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean like constructing a timeline for the book of judges then might be impossible. Like it's probably not like you just line up one period of time after another. Um, and then finally we're given another, a very minor judge. He's not even called a judge, but uh, Shamgar, the son of Anat, who is uh, surprise, surprise, a deity, a uh, female deity. And, um, but at any rate, that 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 means like you know somebody is named after after her. Um, but again, like what do you do in naming your your kid Anat? You know. Um, but um, any rate, Shamgar kills uh, six hundred um, of Israel's enemies with an ox goad, and thus he saved Israel. Okay, let's go ahead and go to Psalm fifty-six. So, Psalm fifty-six. Um, interestingly, Psalm 56 may start in its superscription with the mention of a tune that was known. It's not entirely clear that that's what this is, 
but it's to the choir master according to the dove on far off terebinths. Um, it is a mitcom of David. Once again, it's a psalm of David. But yeah, maybe that's the tune that it was. It was um, would have been sung to uh, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Now the episode that this seems to be um, alluding to is um, uh, towards the end of the book of First uh, Samuel, and this is uh, when um, he goes to. Uh, he's hi- he's he's fleeing from Saul. And he actually ends up hiding among the Philistines. And the Philistines, especially the ones at Gath, because that's where Goliath is from, are none too happy that their king, Achish, has um, accepted David into his company. And when David realizes that these guys might uh, these guys might kind of uh, not like that he's here very much, he pretends like he's crazy so that, you know, they'll just kind of, I don't know, not regard him as a threat. Um and uh, so, yeah, that's uh, uh, that's uh, that that's the episode that this is connected to. So it's a it's you could kind of tell this right. This is part of the running from Saul, and now he's gone, and he's 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 trapped in this Philistine city, and he, he's very much at the mercy of other people. And so this is a prayer to God: Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. Um, and um, uh, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? So notice the absolute praise and trust that he is placing in the Lord. And praise and trust kind of becomes um, the, his, the stamp of David's attitude throughout this, this, this psalm. Um, all day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts against me are evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they've waited for my life. Uh, right? So he's, he's clearly worried, um, and, but, but has this profound trust in God. And the trust is elaborated on in verses 8 and following. You have kept count of my tossings and put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Right? God cares intimately for every tear that we cry, right? Like he, he, he intensely cares about his people this much. There's nothing that David suffers that, that he, that he, he knows there's nothing that he suffers that the Lord is is missing. God's not missing any of that. He knows the affliction of his people. And again, in God, whose word I praise in Yahweh, whose word I praise in God, I trust. There we have it again. Praise, trust, praise, trust, I shall not be afraid. And again, what can man do to me? Um, so you see this kind of like refrain, right? In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And then the same, pretty much the same thing. Um, what can man do to me? And God and David's response is, I will perform my vows to you, or I must perform my vows to you. I will render thank offerings to you, for you've delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling. That I and why? Because so that I may walk before God in the light of life. Um, there's there's a purpose to God's deliverance, and it's so that His people would know Him more. Okay, now let's go over to John chapter four, starting in verse twenty-seven and going through forty-two. Uh, this is kind of like a part two of the of the story of the woman at the well. Um, now. 
we had been told earlier on that Jesus was there alone with her because his disciples had gone to to get some food. And um, and when they returned, when they come back, they see him speaking with this this woman, right? Which is kind of scandalous, right? You didn't just strike up conversations with strange women you didn't know, especially Samaritan women's. Um, and uh, and but but nobody dares speak to him. It says, um, and um, and so they they don't ask like, what do you seek, woman, or or why are you talking with her, Jesus? So the woman leaves her water jar there. She leaves her jar there, like like totally abandons the task to which she'd come, and goes into her town. Now, remember how I mentioned how the ter- the concept of be- being a witness, bearing witness, is very important in the Gospel of John. Here, the woman becomes kind of like the ideal, the Samaritan woman now becomes the ideal, um, uh, if not disciple, if not merely disciple, witness, right? She goes back to her town and she sees, and remember what Philip had initially said to Nathaniel, come and see. Now she says what? Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Recall Jesus had pretty much told her that that's who he was. And so they they all come out of the town, all these Samaritans. And uh, while this is happening, the disciples are trying to get Jesus to eat. And Jesus wants to, once again, just like he's done with Nicodemus, just like he's, he, he kind of did it with the, the Jewish leaders when he did the temple cleansing. Um, and he did it with the woman at the well where he start he takes a very earthly thing and then turns it into a very spiritual metaphor. I have food to eat that you do not know about. And the disciples are right just like the other other interlocutors um kind of confused about this and and don't take it immediately as this deep spiritual thing and they're like, "Well, has anyone brought him something to eat?" and he says to them, "My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work." Right? That's what sustains Jesus. That's his sustenance, is doing God's will for his life. I love that. Um, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Okay, so here they are in Samaria, right? This place that is just full of people that Jewish people do not like very much. And he's telling them, look up, look, look around you. This is where the harvest is among people who, who, who classically have been alienated from God. Um, uh, and then he says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into that labor. Now, this is a little bit interesting, right? Because um, typically, when we hear like sower and reaper, uh, the, we would we would think maybe the sower is the disciples or you know someone associated with Jesus, and then the reaper would be God or perhaps Jesus at the end of the age. Yet here, note that he that the disciples are the ones who are the reapers. So so the um, so right that they're they're doing ministry and making disciples among Samaritans among. You know, everyone whom Jesus will commission them to to reach with the gospel, um, that is conceived here in in this saying of Jesus, they're reaping. So who's the one who's doing the sowing? And there's a couple different options. 
Um, you know, John the Baptist would be would be one. But I think um, I think it's probably more accurate to say the the prophets and all who have gone before him, right? That 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 all the things that have been pointing up to what I am here now now to do, right? Speaking right, in, in Jesus's what what Jesus may have been conceptualizing. Um, all of those who have prepared the way have been sowing all along, all these years, and now it's finally time to reap. And I've called you guys to reap the harvest. Um, so here it is, boys, reap it. <laughs> and um, and then the Samaritans indeed come from the town, and many believe in him uh, because of the woman's testimony. There it is, witness, testimony. Same word in Greek, okay? Um um, he told me all that I ever did. That's what she's basically astonished at. Okay, probably talk, referring to you know her status as as six times divorced and um, and the Samaritans come and they they actually receive Jesus right. They they ask him to stay with him and and he he does stay with them for a couple days and many more believed now because of his word, not just the women's word. And they say to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. All right. Well, that's it for today. As always, I thank you for joining me, and uh, until tomorrow, keep reading Scripture, take care, and bye-bye.